You're listening to the Promise Church's message of the week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Jonathan. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. Amen. Amen. You guys awake and alive this morning? It's great to be here with you. I've been in Longview the last couple weeks, which has been wonderful, but I've missed all of your beautiful faces. It's great to see you. Great to be with you. If you want to give me a hug after service, I'm, I'm, I'm your guy. I'm good. Not afraid of hugs. Love it. So I'm excited to share with you today what's on my heart. Uh, before we jump into the word, we're going to pray, but I want to preface what we're going to speak about today that it's going to be a little different uh, than, than normal. Uh, it's going to be a little different, one, because I'm going to do a lot more teaching than preaching, and it's going to be a little different because we're going to talk about something that I've been a part of this church since I was a little guy, you know, seven years old. I don't know if we have ever had a, a sermon, a message on what I'm going to share with you today just on this topic alone. Maybe we've mentioned it, maybe we've hinted at it, maybe we've talked about it as a point within a sermon or a message, but not exhaustively, extensively just talked about this subject that we're going to get to today by itself. And on that, I apologize that it's taken seven years of us pastoring you to do that. And I'm sorry, looking around the room at many of you who have been here a long time. And for some reason, we have neglected and ignored this topic where we're going to talk about today. And so I'm excited to be able to share this with you. I, 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 the Lord put it on my heart a few weeks ago, and I'm just like, Lord, really? Are you sure? I don't really know if this is a good idea. I can't. I mean, maybe, maybe not. It's controversial. It's confusing sometimes, but it hasn't left me, and I, f- I feel the Lord leading me to, to share, with this, uh, share this with you today. So we're going to talk this morning about the second coming of Christ. Some of you are excited. Praise God. The sermon title, if you need a title, is Living with the End in Mind. I would recommend taking notes because I'm going to go through a lot of scripture, praise God, because the Bible is full of this subject, uh, and so you should hopefully take notes, praise Jesus. And on that note, why don't we pray? Jesus, we love you. We set our hearts and our attention and our affection fully on you. You are so worthy. There is no one like you. God, we give you all thanks and glory and praise. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move powerfully in this time, that you would speak to us, reveal Jesus to us, make us more like Jesus. Let your word come and just penetrate hearts today. Let your word be clear today. Help me to communicate your word and your truth today, Lord. Bless everyone here in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 So again, living with the end in mind, I want to start with this passage of Scripture. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 13. You may think, okay, he's going to talk about the second coming of Jesus. We're going to be in the book of Revelation the entire day. Nope. I am going to preach on this subject with a lot of Scripture and not read one Scripture from the book of Revelation for a reason. To show you that there's a lot more in there about this than just in one book. Praise God. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, say, that's me. Amen. We do not want you to be uninformed. I apologize if you have been uninformed on this matter because we have not talked about this before. We do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Say, I believe. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep, meaning those who have died before the Lord's return. Okay? Those who have passed on, who knew the Lord before his return. Why will those who have fallen asleep, those who have passed away, arise before those who are left? Because the Lord is a God of honor. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. (laughs) You guys are excited. This is great. I hope you, this carries into second service. Praise God. Notice some of these words in here. Encourage one another with these words. I grew up in a time, generation, that for some reason had a large connotation of fear with the return of Jesus. Left behind, let's just put it right there. There was a lot of promotion of the spirit of fear in the topic of the return of Jesus. And I don't believe that is how it was ever supposed to be communicated. Paul makes it very clear here to this church that this reality, this truth of the return of Jesus Christ is both literal and to be something that encourages us, something that edifies us, something that gives us great hope. When, see... There's a scripture that's not going to be on the screen for you. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It talks about that we're in a race. And everyone is running this race. And we should run the race with the end in mind. We should run the race so that we finish strong. Okay? Anyone know about this this passage I'm speaking of? 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Hey, you're all in a race. Run the race to win. Okay? I, I grew up playing a lot of sports. I enjoy sports. I don't know if, I, if my kid was put on a team or if I was put on a team growing up and my coach or the coach of my kids says something like, okay, so we're going to lose this game, so just go out there and try to have fun. I'd probably just say, hey, I need to find a new team. Right? I mean, every coach, if they're worth their weight in anything, they, they go, okay, we're going to win this game. This is the goal to win 
This is how we're going to get there. So then you work backwards from there and how you're going to be able to succeed as a team to be able to win the game. You, you in a sense, execute the game with the end in mind. Okay, so parents, if you have children, you should ask the Lord for a vision from him of their life, who they are, how God has made them, what he's called them to do and to be, and get that vision for them and say, okay, God, that's the goal, that's the vision, that's the end in mind. How do I now go backwards to lead them and love them and train them and teach them to get them there? You should be doing the same thing with your own life. Okay, Lord, what, what do you have for me? How, where do I go? How do I do this? God, live with the end in mind. And I've realized over time that so much of how church is done and things that are affected within church life and, and, and the existence of the body of Christ in America has so much to do with how they see the end. With how they see what will take place at the end. What is important to them. And then they begin to, to lead and live and function and, and grow and do things from that place. If we have a defeated mentality, if we have a fearful mentality, it's because we don't see the end properly. So this is really important. The, the second coming of Christ, one of the foundational truths and emphases of the early church and was intended to be one of the main truths believed, taught, and lived out for our entire lives and existence. I can't look at scripture, I can't look at church history and just say, yeah, the early church didn't talk about the second coming of Christ. They, they didn't emphasize it. They didn't talk about it. They didn't live it out. They didn't go into it very much. No, it was included in all of these very essential truths like the life of Jesus, that he came fully God, fully man, born of a virgin, lived on this earth as God, as man, and he showed us the heart of the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He took our place on the cross. He died on the cross. He became sin that we might become righteous. He was buried in the tomb and he rose again on the third day that our God is not dead he's not a teacher with good thoughts and philosophies he's not just a good man that we should maybe follow his example no he is the one and only true God because he's not dead he's alive he defeated death hell sin and the grave he plundered hell he says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore go under my authority and take what I have done and take what I've given and take, take what I've spoken and teach others Make disciples. And it's like we stop right there. Life, death, burial, resurrection. It's all amazing. It's all powerful. It's wonderful. I mean, we celebrate his, his birth in Christmas. We celebrate his resurrection in Easter. And, but we should live in these realities constantly. We should never not be emphasizing them, not be thinking of them, not be living from them. Right? Amen? But somehow it's like after that we... We forget that he ascended into heaven. Like we don't really talk about that, the ascension of Christ. And like I said, I don't remember a time ever where I've heard it preached on his return, on the return of Christ, the second coming of Christ. And yet you look at scripture and you look at the early church, they talked about this a lot, constantly. 
They, the early apostles and the early church fathers lived with the eminent return of Christ in mind and in lifestyle. What do I mean by eminent return? Like he could return at any moment. You don't know the day or the hour. I believe that one of the things lacking in our church expression in America is a healthy perspective and a healthy application of this truth of the return of Christ. Why is it not talked about? Because there's so many unhealthy perspectives, so many unhealthy applications. So instead of just dealing with it, we avoid it altogether. So, can we just nail this one down? Can we just settle this one right now? Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. Literally, he is coming again. He's not coming again through just a, a sub, subconscious, subjective move of the Holy Spirit. No, he is physically, literally coming again in the flesh. Like, do you realize that there is a man alive in existence Right now, in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and me. Jesus is still a man. He has wounds in his hands, in his side, and on his feet. He didn't lose his humanity when he ascended into heaven and took his place. And he will return again as a man. Fully God, fully man. So that's good. I'm glad. That was a good response there. We settled that one. Okay, if you disagree, you're in the minority now. And we will pray for you. No, I'm just, you know, it's okay. But I want to say this. The reason why we can say this with confidence, well, the reason why we can say this assuredly is because Jesus himself promised it. The angels prophesied it. And the early church fathers talked about it a lot. So if this book has any value to you, if this book is truth to you, you live your life in it and from it and on it, then his return is true. Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man, this is Jesus speaking. Let me provide context for you. Jesus is talking here and he says, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. In Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, Jesus gives a very extensive and exhaustive teaching on the end times and his return. A lot of people only look at Matthew 24 and look at Matthew 25 separately. When Jesus spoke it, he spoke it all at once. Matthew 25 is a continuation of what he taught in Matthew 24. And he used parables in Matthew 25 to paint a picture of what it will look like when he returns. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a moment. In Acts chapter 1, verse 11, Jesus has ascended into heaven, and the disciples are like this. They're just kind of stuck, like, oh my gosh, Jesus, who just raised from the dead 40 days ago, he literally just floated up into the sky. He ascended. And they're like, is he coming back? Um, what just happened? What is going on? And so, angels appear to them. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Men of Galilee, they said. The angels said, 
Why do you stand here looking into the sky? Because we just saw something we have never seen before. This is amazing. It's kind of a funny question that, why did they ask that question? This same Jesus who was taken, who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. In the same way. In the same way. I just read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 to you where Paul again talks about the return of Jesus. I want to talk about the first, this passage I read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I want to provide a little background for you. So the reason why Paul wrote to them is they planted this church. They started this church. Paul did with a couple other apostles. And the church began to grow and flourish quickly. But then persecution started and broke out. And so Paul and a couple of his, his teammates have to flee the city. And they leave and they go to another place to start another church. And they basically entrust the leadership of this church to very young believers. And they be, are now continuing to have to grow and learn and live in Christ and lead this church in this city. And so Paul writes to them and he hears so many great reports and he, he's so encouraged by their faith and their perseverance, even in the midst of persecution. And he's writing to them all these great things. But he's also heard that there is a false teaching that has come into their midst that said those who were, who, who are in Christ, who knew the Lord, but who have died, who have died because of persecution or have died because of other things, natural causes, they will not be included in the resurrection of the dead. And so Paul writes to them in, about many things, but about this matter in particular to address them, to say, no, 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 that is not true. The ones who have, who have died, who have gone before us, they will be first to rise to meet the Lord in the air when he returns. But the implication of this passage I read to you indicates that the, these early believers, these ones who've only known the Lord for a short time, probably way less than most of us in this room, they had such a knowledge and awareness and understanding of the return of Christ that Paul could pick out one little piece of that subject matter and address it. He didn't have to introduce the entire thing to them. So somehow, in even the few short days that Paul had with them, he and his teammates and the early church there realized the importance and the emphasis, uh, the importance of the emphasis of the return of Christ to be one of the foremost subject matters that they would teach them. That, hey, Jesus is your Savior. He's died on the cross for you. He's the Messiah, the one foretold to come. And he's the only one that can forgive your sins. And he's done that. Receive him as Lord and Savior. He's alive. He's raised from the dead. And he will return. And so Paul addresses these things here. In 2 Thessalonians, the, the second one, the second letter to that church, he has to address a lie that Christ has already returned. So you, you, you see here two things I see here. One, a huge emphasis on this subject in the beginning of a church, which is amazing to me. And two, that the devil likes to attack this area. He likes to attack this area. Maybe there's something really important here. That maybe if we actually live with the return of Christ in mind, we will actually be the effective believers that Jesus has always intended us to be. So reasons why this topic is ignored or avoided. Why, why do most pastors not want to talk about this? Or why do they talk about it and it's really weird? 
Again, the Holy Spirit's not weird. People are weird. So, there you go. Not calling any of you weird. But if the shoe fits, wear it proudly. So why? Well, one is because there's so much confusion over certain events. How people interpret scripture, literally or metaphorically, you really is a huge piece to how certain things around this idea take place. But I I can guarantee you, I say the return of Jesus, and the majority of you begin to think about all these other things, like the rapture, the tribulation, the millennial reign, the battle of Armageddon, the mark of the beast. You begin to think about all these other things, and not actually the return of Christ. Somehow we've lost this amazing ancient truth and reality of his return because we've gotten so caught up and consumed and distracted with all these other things. And all those other things actually so much cause division within the church. Well, which one are you? Pre-trib, post-trib, which one are you? Do you believe in the millennial reign or not? If you don't, I don't know if we can be friends. It's weird. It's crazy. He's coming back. (laughs) Can, Can we just... Not worry about all the other stuff so much. I remember being in Bible college and studying the book of Revelation as part of my last classes as a senior in Bible college. And I go to my grandfather who was like 50 years in ministry. And I thought, surely he's got some answers for me on this subject. So I go, hey, grandpa, what's your take on the second coming of Christ and all these wonderful subjects like tribulation, millennial reign, all this stuff. And some of you are like, what is he even talking about? Praise God. God bless you. You are, you're good. Don't worry. If you don't know, ignorance is bliss a little bit. And I said, what do you think about all this? And he's like, well, I'm a pan-millennialist. And I'm like, I don't remember that as one of the options to camp in. He, he's like, I believe it's all going to pan out in the end. It doesn't really matter. Jesus is coming back. And it's like, I appreciate the simplicity But it'd be really nice to know. But I realized over time that some of those things matter and some of them maybe don't matter as much. If we actually live with the end in mind, we actually live with the return of Christ and his imminent return as a huge core piece of who we are as believers then there is no time and there is no reason for me to have division or bitterness or dissension in my heart towards another believer because we disagree on a lot of the how. Because actually if I'm thinking clearly and I'm living in love and righteousness and with the Lord and his return in mind, there can't be any room for bitterness. There can't be any room for offense. There can't be any room for unforgiveness in my heart. I can't say one thing about them in a negative and and degrading way because I'll have to give an account for every word that comes out of my mouth. But somehow we just create all these camps about which one we are and we just want to hang out with people that agree with us. And it's not how it's supposed to be. Another reason why this is avoided is because it often becomes escapism. Like, we just want to, like, check out. Jesus, come back soon so we can get out of this terrible world. So we can just get out of here while the world's going to hell in a handbasket. And so we, like, want to go dig a hole 
put all of our fun stuff in that hole and a lot of food and put the top over the hole. Don't worry, we're going to talk about when Jesus talks about putting things in a hole here in a little bit. And it doesn't go very well. This is not escapism. Jesus says this gospel of the kingdom will go to every nation, tribe, and tongue. And then the end will come. He said, go and make disciples. Go preach the gospel. These signs will follow those who believe. He's given us a mandate to fulfill and walk out, not to escape. Why else do we avoid this topic? Because we want to avoid anything that has to do with times and dates and events and predictions. And so we just want to ignore it altogether. You know, I would just encourage you if next couple months some book comes out that says 2022 reasons why Jesus is going to return in 2022, do not buy it. Someone's just wanting your money. There was a book in 1988. 88 reasons why Jesus is returning in 1988. He didn't come. So in 1989, 89 reasons why Jesus is going to return in 1989. The guy just made a lot of money. But people fell for it. People are still falling for books all the time about all these signs that are supposed to predict the return of Christ. Stop trying to figure it out. Jesus says you will not know the day or the hour. You may be able to interpret the season. And I believe we're in some seasons that look like it's not too far away. So live with it in mind. But if you're trying to pick the day, you are fully distracted. Okay, I got five points and not a lot of time. Praise God. What the reality of his return should produce in us. What should it produce in us? Number one, watchfulness. 1 Peter 4, 7 says, the end of all things is near, period. All right, let's go home. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one of you, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's go home. It should produce in us watchfulness. If Peter is writing this over 2,000 years ago and he says the end of all things is near, I think it's a little nearer more today than it was then. And it says that we should be alert, sober, watchful. Why? Not so we know when to get in the bombshell bunker, but so that we can pray. This alertness, this soberness, this watchfulness should cause us to be alert and looking for how to pray, how to intercede, looking for who to love, looking for how and ways to serve. There sounded like there was things that the church was supposed to be doing while they were being watchful, 
It wasn't mean that they just sat there and looked at the sky waiting for him to come back. It doesn't look like they were supposed to hide in a bunker somewhere. They are to be hospitable, to love, to serve, to pray. Matthew 24. Here we go. This is Jesus speaking. Lord, help me. I looked up at the lights and now I cannot see. Praise God. Matthew 24, 36. Jesus says, but about that day of his return or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. In the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be grinding with a hand mill, one will be taken and the other left. Anyone who grew up in church, thinking of the DC Talk song right now, I am. Praise the Lord. One person got me. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 42. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would have... not left his house, be broken into. So you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So you can't predict 88 reasons why he's going to come in a certain year. So who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying a long time away or away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is the end of chapter 24. Chapter 25 continues that thought and says the kingdom of God will be like this when the Son of Man returns. It will, again, it will be like this when the Son of Man returns. Three different parables. The first one, the parable of the ten virgins, five wise, five foolish. And some had oil and some did not. Oil represents your intimacy with God. It represents you knowing God. And when, when those five foolish virgins came, the master says, I, didn't, I don't know you. Depart from me. So what is Jesus looking for? He's looking for those that know him deeply and intimately. Who really know him. Not know about him. Jesus is a person to know. Wisdom is a person, and his name is Jesus. So the wise virgins knew Jesus. The second parable is, this, is the parable of a master with three servants. Talents or money, bags of gold, whatever translation you look at was given to each one. One had five, one had two, one had one. And the master leaves and then he comes back to see what his servants did with what was given them. The one with five and the one with two multiplied what God had given them. The one with one, what did he do? He said this, I was afraid. I was afraid. And I hid 
what you gave me in the ground. Does that sound familiar? I hid in the ground, in my bunker bombshell. I hid in the ground for the doomsday and stored up my five years of food. I was afraid. And that servant did not end well. See, Jesus is looking for multiplication. He's looking for increase. He's looking for stewardship. What will you do with what he has given you? The last parable is the sheep and the goats. And Jesus says to the ones that he received on his right into the kingdom, Come and enjoy your inheritance, for when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. And they said, Jesus, when did we ever see you like that? We don't, I don't ever recall seeing you that way. And he said, but hey, you, when you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. And the ones that he did not receive in, he said, when I was naked, you did not clothe me. When I was hungry, you did not feed me. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me something to drink. But when did we ever see you that way? When, if you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it for me. What is Jesus looking for? He's looking for generosity. He's looking for compassion. He's looking for those that are selfless, who will love the ones that no one wants to love, who will love the outcasts, who will love the, the, the rejects, who will love people that the world gives up on. This is what the Lord is asking of us, what he is looking for. Truth held in tension. There is always usually a great balance between two truths. So many people want to throw out the idea of performance. So many want to, people want to throw out the idea of works. But God still considers them. God still looks for them. God still values them. You are not saved by your works. You're saved by grace. You are not saved by what you do. And all of a sudden, because of what you do and all these good works to try to please God because you have a negative perspective that he's an angry God or whatever, your motives will be judged by God. But works still have significance. They still have value. But as you see in the, the succession of these parables in Matthew 25, you do them from intimacy. The wise virgin, good steward, compassionate person from the place of knowing the Lord. Number two, there's a lot there. There's a lot here. I mean, this could be a series, and I'm trying to pack it all into one message. Praise God. I don't, I'm crazy. All right. Number two, urgency. The, the, the belief and the reality of his return should produce in us urgency. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home, in the body, or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for us for things done while in the body, whether good or bad. There it is again. There it is again. Verse 11, since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope is also plain to your conscience. Verse 14, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died, Jesus died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. 
No longer live for yourself, but to live for Christ. So from now on, we, know, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Praise the Lord. You should be excited about that one. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself and in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Scripture, right there for you. So much right here. In light of the judgment seat of Christ and his return. And in light of his incredible love and for us and his powerful redemption of our souls. We should be, we need to be compelled to preach the gospel to others. As Christ has commissioned us as his ambassadors of his kingdom. In light of his return, in light of the judgment seat, there should be a desire for us to tell other people what he has done for us. In light of the judgment seat and in light of his return, we should want to be want, we should be willing and desirous to be reconciled with the Lord and with each other. Which means there should be an urgency in us to resolve any relational issues and conflicts in our life. There should be no room for unforgiveness, no room for bitterness, no room for grudges, no room for offense. Reconciliation. I'm not very old. I'm 36. So I can't say like I got this long life of experience. I'm 36. I still feel like I'm 25. Praise God. But I've learned a little bit in my short time. Life is short. And you're not promised tomorrow. So therefore, live with the end in mind. There should be no room for relationships in your life that you have, you have completely cut off because of offense and unforgiveness. I understand some people that might be in your life are unhealthy people. They, you, it is important that you create good boundaries maybe with them. But that doesn't mean that you don't talk to them because you're offended and mad and un unforgiving towards them. There should not be anyone in your life that you say, yeah, I haven't talked to them in five years because I don't like them. Or because we're not friends anymore. Or because they hurt me. If today was your last day, is there anyone in your life where you got to go like, I want to make it right with them. I need to make it right with them. I don't want to go before the Lord and realize I wasn't right with that person. Because if I wasn't right with that person, I wasn't right with the Lord. An urgency to preach the gospel. An urgency to be right with the Lord and with one another. Number three. Hope. The reality of the return of Jesus should produce hope for us. Not depression, not anxiety, not fear. Hope. 
Titus 2. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the depressing return. No, for the blessed hope. For the blessed hope, the appearing of glory of the glory of our great and God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The return of Jesus is called the blessed hope. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. When everything is shaken around us, everything in the world and everything and maybe in your world personally is shaken around you, your hope should not be shaken. Your faith should not be shaken. Why? Because you've been put into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You've been given a hope that should not be shaken, shaken if Jesus is the anchor of your soul. We should be the ones of most hope. In fact, we should have such an atmosphere and countenance of hope upon us and in us that the world, when it's going crazy, is like, what is wrong with you? How are you okay? Are you oblivious? Nope. I'm full of hope, and you can be too. And it's not like hope that the world is going to be like this utopia place. Read the scripture. I don't see anywhere where it says that the world is supposed to be a utopia place before the return of Christ. But the people who have hope will shine brightly. And the reason we can have hope, the reason why we should want the return of Christ, the reason why we should long for it and pray for it and call out for it and live with it in mind is because we're so in love with our king that we know that we're one day closer to being united with him for all of eternity. That our cry is, come Lord Jesus, come. Not so that I can escape this terrible world. Not so that I can just be in heaven and not have to worry about certain details of my life. No, because I'm so wanting to be with you. And if that is our attitude, that is how we conduct our lives, it will be evident and people will want what we have. Number four, holiness. I'm going to read another big portion of scripture here for you. Holiness. 2 Peter 3, verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the day, or excuse me, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. He is outside of time. He is not confined by time. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Notice the revelation of the Lord's heart right here. So beautiful. The Lord isn't wanting to send fire from heaven and consume and judge the earth because he doesn't like people. The reason why the Lord is tarrying, the reason why the Lord is waiting to return is because he loves us so much. He's so patient and so kind, not wanting anyone to perish, but for this gospel that we've been given to be able to be spread to the entire world so everyone has an opportunity to receive him before the end, before their end, or before he returns. 
Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Do you see it? That if you live the way God has made us to live in his divine nature, full of his goodness and righteousness and holiness, that you and I can actually be a part of speeding his coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt within the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and be at peace with him. Jesus is coming back and he's coming back for a pure and spotless bride the wedding supper of the Lamb, where the bride and the bridegroom, the church and Jesus, are united together for all of eternity. The one scripture I struggled not including in this message is in Revelation 19, that talks about the church, the bride of Christ, made herself ready for the bridegroom's return. Holiness. He's provided everything we need to live in holiness. And he calls us to be holy as he is holy. And when we live in that way, we will not fear that day. We will pray for that day. We will be on mission for that day. We will live in righteousness and holiness so that we will not be afraid to stand before him when it's our time. Perhaps so much fear is around this topic because people are living in sin and compromise and they don't want to have to give an account. But if we actually live as the bride is supposed to, live in the the love of Jesus, live in righteousness, free, then we will celebrate and cry out, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. Vote number five, last one. Perseverance. Thank you for persevering with me in this topic today. Number five is perseverance. Matthew 24, verse 12. Jesus says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most, love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. It's not going to be easy. The American gospel of come to Jesus and he will solve all of your problems and give you an easy life is not the real gospel. There might be difficult moments. There may be difficult times, trials, tribulations, difficulties that we face in this earth, people dying, loss of loved ones. There will be circumstances that are not from the Lord that we have to endure. And will we persevere? Will we persevere? It says the love of most will grow cold. Let us not be those who let their love grow cold. But let us be those who stand firm 
in love with our bridegroom, Jesus, with great anticipation of his return. Let us be one that is alert and alert and aware and watchful and sober to pray, to be with the Lord, to know him, to be, have an urgency to live in righteousness and to live reconciled with people and not have offense and unforgiveness, to live in preaching the gospel, to live in holiness, to live with hope, to persevere knowing that, you know what, this day is difficult, this day is hard, this time is hard, but in the end, I'm going to be with my Lord forever. Therefore, I will push through no matter what is going on in my life today because of this hope that I carry, this anticipation that I have. It pushes me through because I'm living with eternity in mind. And I'm not going to compromise or give up or stop or slow down because I've made a mistake today. No, even though the righteous fall seven times, seven times, they get back up again and I'm going to keep going after my Lord because he's all I want and he's all I need and he's my dream. My dream dream isn't a big church. My dream isn't some like great success or accomplishment. My dream is him. To stand before him and to see him in his beauty and his majesty and his splendor. Why would we not want that day? Will you stand with me? Remember, he's looking He's looking for intimacy. He's looking for increase and good stewardship. He's looking for compassion and generosity. I don't know about you, church, but I debated and resisted speaking on this for a while because I felt convicted. I don't know about you. It's like, wow, Lord, time to upgrade some areas. Wow, Lord, time to dig deeper. Lord, time to surrender more. Lord, time to say yes. Time to let the things that I want and living for myself in any way, to put that away. My hope in sharing this with you is that it gives you hope. And it sobers us up. What are we living for? Don't buy into the lie and the American dream of just living a casual life and just being able to retire before 65 and be comfortable. If you're gonna retire by 65, Ask the Lord what you're going to do to extend and advance the kingdom and give away everything that the Lord has given you by the time you breathe your last breath. Our life is not our own. We've been bought with a price. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. When I say you don't know him, you could be in a church, have been in a church your whole life. You could know the Bible. The Pharisees knew the Bible the most and did not know Jesus. They did not receive him as Lord and Savior. Maybe you're here and you don't know him. Maybe this is your first time here. Welcome. We're talking about the return of Christ. Maybe someone dragged you here. Someone invited you here. I don't know what brought you here, but there's no accidents. There's no coincidences. The Lord brought you here. He loves you. 
He wants you to know him. So if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, we want to just pray with you. We want to invite you into an opportunity to begin a journey of relationship with him where you know him deeply. So if you're here today and that's you, just raise your hand. We would just love to pray with you. Is there anyone here? no one's raising their hand, then, then we're all those that are part of the bride of Christ. So I implore you, church, to live with this truth of his return in mind, to live on mission, to live in love, to live looking how to pray, how to love, how to serve, to live to the fullest, not knowing when is our end. To live offense and unforgiveness free, to live bitterness free. Lord, I ask for your grace upon us, Lord. I thank you for that scripture, Lord, in Titus chapter two, that says your grace has been given to us to say no to ungodliness, to say no to sin and wickedness. God, I thank you for your grace that empowers us to live like you, Jesus. I thank you for your grace that sustains us. Lord God, your grace that helps pick us back up again when we stumble. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for your grace and your power upon us to preach the gospel. Lord God, to love our neighbor. Lord God, to love our families. God, I thank you for your grace. I ask for an increase in a measure of your grace to come upon us, Lord. God, that we would live in urgency. We would live in love with you, Lord. And we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. God, give us love for our neighbors. God, give us love for our coworkers. God, give us love for our family members. God, those that you've placed us around that don't know you, give us love for them, that we would be compelled by your love, the love that we've received and experienced in you. We thank you, Jesus. The worship team is just going to lead us in a song. I, I just encourage you, church, right now in this moment. We're not in a hurry. I just encourage you, if you want to come to the front to respond in any way to something that was shared today, if you want to just worship the Lord passionately as a warm-up for when you're going to be in eternity with Him, I encourage you to do that. But just come before the Lord in this moment of worship. Come before Him in this moment to say, Jesus, you're all I want. Jesus, you're all I need. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for who you are. Lord, I celebrate your return. I celebrate your coming. Lord, I want to be a part of the bride that makes herself ready. Lord, I want to speed up your coming. Lord, I want to give you everything. I surrender all to you, Lord. Jesus, we worship you. Come on, don't be afraid. You can come up to the front if you want. It's all good. Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the one. Come on, church. You're in your seats. Lift your voices. Lift your hands. Don't hold back your love from him. You have one chance on this earth to love Jesus. Love him with all that you have. 
love him with every breath. Jesus, we love you. 